So check this out. I got word that Hulu threw this crazy party in Beverly Hills with literally all of the biggest reality TV stars. I'm talking about all the Bravo lebs, Candy Burris, Portia Williams, James Kennedy, Jax Taylor, even Captain Lee and Kate Chastain. Here's the genius part. If you want to find out what happened at the party, you have to watch the commercials. Yes, I know I'll be tuning in and then signing up for a free trial to get my favorite reality TV shows at Hulu.com. All right, anyway. Brighter topics, yes. Okay. Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 6, The Impossible Box, is over! But we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lees, and here with me tonight to break it all down for you is someone I always want to talk to for more than 70 seconds, Mr. Mike Bloom. Thank God, because I am full of so much hot air that I think if Soji tried to listen to any one of my podcasts, you pretty much get through my plugs with you know before passing out, which I'm surprised that 90% of our listeners don't do that anyway. So thank you, listeners, for not being androids that are programmed to turn off after a certain time. I don't know. I've heard that some people enjoy listening to our podcasts to fall asleep. So it is not totally unheard of that they would just be like switching their android brains off. So then would we appear in the dreams? And in that case, are we the ones with the blurry faces or are we the child or are we the two moons? What role do we play if we're involved in these dreams? I mean, personally, I'm the fuzzy lavender cube. I feel like that's what's calling to me, Mike, but you can choose your own adventure Mm. here. Well, I am a bloom, so I'm going to call myself the third orchid from the left. I think that's truly my true uh, calling. Third orchid from the left. That was one of my favorite reality shows on Bravo back in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, well, the people are getting their big Bravo dose. Hopefully that one also shows up during the commercial breaks on Hulu, uh, you know, coming out of retirement for one last that's, appearance. That's what I'm banking on here. So, Mike, we got a lot to talk about this episode. I was wrong. We're not going to stretch it out and make Picard reach the Borg cube at the end of the season. We're just going to put him there, and I'm not mad at that. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think, you know, I think some people have had some sticking points with Picard in that they felt that the pace has been a little languid. I personally don't have a problem with it. I think we said this at the beginning of the season that I like this, especially in contrast to Discovery, which really feels so balls to the wall every single second. This is probably the most Discovery-esque episode where, true to what you said, so much stuff happened. We got in and out of that Borg cube in, you know, it was the longest episode so far in about 55 minutes. But still, we got in and out of the Borg cube in that time, which, as you said, neither one of us could have predicted. But we still had enough time for, like, a very heavy emotional arc from Picard. Obviously, Soji has her big wake-up moment, both literally and figuratively. We got a little bit of romance on the side, possibly. So there's still a lot of stuff going on. But I think, you know, if the death of Bruce Maddox was sort of like the end of Act 1 of Star Trek Picard, Act 2 apparently is just ready to go boom, 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 boom from here on out. Yeah, I think you're right, Mike, that the more remarkable headline of the week is not that we got to the Borg Cube, but that... We got to the Borg Cube and then we immediately left the Borg Cube because I think we were kind of 
anticipating that there was going to be a lot to unpack on the Borg Cube and that it would maybe be the headquarters of the next piece of action. And it turns out that it's way too dangerous for that. It's like, get in and get out. Yeah. Right. Especially now that, you know, Soji has officially been activated and the Romulans at least know of well, I guess we'll talk about the, you know, the 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 planet of it all, about whether or not that is going to be the quote-unquote nest of the androids or not, or just a, a location of interest to go to. But it seems like everyone sort of has that in their mind's eye at this point, where I don't know if we need the cube anymore, which I know I'm personally fine with. Uh, I've definitely not been quiet about how I have not been too high on the whole Soji Neric board cube stuff going on. That being said bringing Picard into it I thought was very needed in so many ways between just his personal history and just the fact that it adds a new element to it I I really enjoyed that and now assumingly we're gonna get off of it if not outright leave it at least not devote as much time to it so win-win in my opinion I suppose Mike but I'm really gonna miss Hugh yeah I'm though I don't know I personally think the way the episode ended, I think there is a non-zero chance that we're going to get sort of akin to what happened in Star Trek Discovery's season two finale, where let's say, you know, Picard's backed up by the Jat Vash and they're, you know, on their last legs. And then suddenly a ship comes out of nowhere and starts pew-pewing the heck out of them. And oh my God, it's Hugh and Elnor. They were able to escape the Borg cube. Like, I do not subscribe to the fact that they're dead. I could very easily see off screen they fought their way through, mostly Eleanor fought their way through, got into an escape pod, and then took off to pursue Picard. So I still think there could be an appearance for Hugh there, but I think this is probably his most emotionally weighty appearance that he'll make on yeah, the Yeah, I have to assume if you don't see him die on screen, they're not dead. I, I Maybe I've just watched way too much Game of Thrones yeah. in my day, but it sure seems like they are at least allowing for the possibility that Elnor and Hugh are going to get through it. And also, they've made so much out of Elnor and his trajectory being that he must devote his life now to Picard's hopeless cause. They're not going to let him off with an off-screen death. Right. And, you know, we did have this thing at the end where it seemed Elnor was being self-sacrificial, even when Picard says, like, no, by your bound duty, I'm cutting those binds. You don't need to do this. But it appears that, you know, this is more so a, an Elnor decision than a Kovat Milat decision. So you could say that's a little bit of closure within that mini arc of Picard and Elnor. But I still felt like it was a little too quick to be sort of a true resolution. And yes, I agree with the fact that I don't think there will be many, if any, off-screen deaths, especially for our main characters. I think because this brands it as you know, Shabon has really branded this as sci-fi drama. I feel like they really want to milk those moments out of, you know, the deaths of these characters to the point that we saw a very, very graphic death on screen last week that arguably should have been off screen, but we had to mercilessly watch through the entire yeah, thing. I mean, thank God everybody left this episode with as many eyes as they came in with. Yes, and maybe even more so, now, depending on if they were able to pocket some Borg implants on the yeah, way out. Yeah, I mean, I'd be tempted. I think so. You need you need eyes everywhere, especially with the, you know, Jot Vosh watching you from all angles. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you want all the extra eyes you can get. Especially because, you know, 
they, I mean, they don't know that there's a, a traitor in their midst, but there's a pair of eyes that's not necessarily focused on their mission at hand. In fact, it might be turned promptly yeah, against Yeah, although them. that particular pair of eyes was a little sidetracked this week. Ooh, mama. Yeah. So, Mike, do you want to just go ahead and start there? Yeah, let's talk about Jurios. Because this, I mean, I was shocked by this personally. Uh, and I, I understand it. I definitely want to go into, like, the emotional point that we find Dr. Agnes Gerardi right now and how that might inform her character for the second half of the season. But it's so interesting to me, Jess, because... You know, we saw these two characters interact a little bit in the previous two episodes. In episode four, it was her sort of pestering him while he's reading, talking about how bored, surprisingly, she is in space. Last episode, he instructs her to help, you know, bat off that uh, that hologram 3D robot fighter. And then they, like, high-five, and she, like, playfully punches him. But I always sort of uh, equated that to, like, a brother-sister relationship. This is such a weird show, Jess, in that... The siblings act like they're romantic partners, <laughs> and the romantic partners act like they're siblings. It's a topsy-turvy world it, we're living in. It's a very good point you make, Mike. I was not seeing any sparks between these two. But I guess the one on the on the bright side, we can now finally put to rest the idea that Rios is a hologram, because I'm pretty sure holograms are not programmed to do that. Yeah, I don't know, LaRue, you're going to have to uh, clarify that with us as our Voyager expert. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that you can't do certain things to a hologram. Though, I don't know. I mean, we do know what has happened on the holodeck and the holocene. Yeah, we know that Quark can program some some holodeck programs that you really don't want to know about. But I think there's got to be some kind of violation in place um, when it comes to violating a hologram. So let, let's talk about this, because while some may feel it's a bit slashy to use some fan fiction parlance, I don't know, I see it. I don't necessarily see it, again, in terms of chemistry, but I see it more so as, like, what Gerardi would do at this point. I mean, from this perspective, Jess Rios is kind of the rebound guy, and I think it's specifically because Gerardi is in such a despondent low in her life, considering that now we know she is saddled with all this information, all this guilt, and then just killed one of the most important men in her life in cold blood, I think it's understandable that she would find company with probably the only other guy in the ship who is wallowing in more misery than she is. You know, misery loves company, and I feel like she was looking for that company, and she knew she could find that well, company. You know what they say, Mike, the best way to get over someone is get under someone else. <laughs> I suppose so. Prepositions are fun. They, they sure they? are. Um, and it's interesting to me because I think it's it's a particular subset of I think this this mindset very much originated in the Star Trek fandom, although it certainly is not unique to it. But there is this sort of mindset where a certain type of fan watches the series and picks out two characters, and then every tiny interaction between these two characters is a sign that they are destined mm. to eventually get together romantically. Right, and then you make the Sarah Bareilles YouTube compilation video about, you know, their moments on screen in the hopes that they'll eventually exactly, come together. Exactly, exactly. But 
for this particular moment in time with these particular characters, they just took that subtext and they just blew it way up to capital T text, like in episode six, which I think is kind of remarkable. Yeah, let, I mean, I want to talk about the aftermath of this because we get a slight mention of it, right? You know, when Picard sort of does, he doesn't necessarily have, you know, a room to gather everyone in, but he sort of gives a briefing of ideas to come into the artifact. And Elnor acknowledges the fact that there is an awkward tension between them. I mean, do you think this is a one and done deal or or do you think there might be like a legitimate coupling brewing between these two as they continue to pursue well this they're definitely not going to just go back to where they were before i don't think they necessarily i don't think either one of them is the type that's like you know next season we spend the whole season planning their wedding but i do think this is going to be a part of their story going forward Right. Yeah. I, I, it's definitely not like you said, you know, some, we've seen some of those episodes, especially with the more episodic Star Trek, like TNG or even DS9, where it's like, oh, we were acting weird for one episode and we were all making out with each other, but it's okay now. Let's move on. Or even like, I remember the one TNG episode where everyone lost their memory and Riker and Ensign Rowe were really, really into one another, despite hating one another before the memory wipe happened. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if they'll necessarily be, hooking up on the side. It also could be an interesting little wrinkle in this whole idea of Dr. Gerardi being a double agent as well. I spoke last week about how I feel like her mission still isn't complete. And if she wants to recruit someone else to her cause, maybe it helps if she's betting, you know, the pilot of this ship who, if she needs this crew to stage a coup against Picard in his hour of need, could be the one with his hands on the controls. That's an interesting way to subvert where I thought you were going with that, Mike, because I wouldn't have necessarily gone there first. I think I have far less faith in Gerardi's loyalty to her cause. I I would think the more conventional way to look at that is that Gerardi ends up sleeping with Rios and catching feelings and then feeling conflicted about the things that she is doing to undermine the mission. I thought we were just done with that. Well, we had to pass the torch somehow. I guess so, but I don't know how many times we need to see that same story over and over again. The fact that they did it once is why I think they'd do it again. (laughs) Yeah, I would say say if there's going to be any sort of conflict of interest with Gerardi, I think it's going to be more so, maybe not her catching feelings with, with Rios, but her more so becoming sympathetic to Picard and his causes that she feels less likely to work against him. Either way, she now has blood on her hands, and that is going to fundamentally change both the way she looks at these characters and the way we look at her as a character. It is so interesting to begin this episode when you see you know, Picard sitting down with Gerardi and, of course, he feels like she's in mourning that, oh, no, it just so happened that Bruce Maddox flatlined, so now I'm going to comfort her. She must be feeling so bad. He has no idea what's weighing on her. And even later on, you know, when she uh, when she's talking about she's glad that she doesn't need to go down to the Borg cube, I feel like there's some subtext in there of, like, maybe if she went down there, she'd have to sort of come face to face with what she was working for. And that's something that she really can't reconcile at this moment. I mean, I, I feel like we talked about this last week, but I feel like to track the continual psychological journey of Agnes Gerardi 
it's probably going to be one of the main through lines for the second half of this season. Yeah, I, I would guess so. And I, I think she lucked out this week because Picard was going through much, through so much of his own stuff that he wouldn't have even necessarily noticed that she was having some conflict within herself. Like she explains that Maddox definitely died because of all the things they put him through on Free Cloud. And Picard's like, yeah, whatever. Let's go with that. I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit scared of this cube. So I got to go deal with that. Ah. Uh. I love this so, so much. I am so happy they went here, Jess, because I feel like one of the main points of discussion when it comes to Jean-Luc Picard as a character is whether or not people felt the show handled his emotional reconciling post-Locutus well. I mean, we talked about the immediate follow-up in Family, but, I mean, you check in a little bit in the Borg episodes that followed in TNG, but I think the big argument is, you know, his attitude in first contact is a little bit of a deviation from what felt like was psychological recovery over the course of the next generation. I love the fact that we gave Picard an opportunity to really experience, for lack of a better term, PTSD, but to do it in such a nuanced way. Yes, it is a little blatant when, you know, you end his arc of the episode with him saying, oh my god, they're not monsters, they're victims all along. But I really like that moment, especially from Patrick Stewart's performance of him, his really visible trepidation from finding out he was going to the Borg Cube, to actually getting on the Borg Cube and basically having a panic attack, to eventually realizing the true plight of the XBs and how that connects with his own journey. I thought it was beautifully yeah, done. Yeah, it's really, it's fantastic. It's such a deep dive into what this universe means. And I think this is the thing that the show is doing better than I think any other Star Trek has up to this point is really kind of expanding out on, okay, here is this other species and this is how they interact with the species that we already know. And here is what their philosophy is and what they want and how they're going to go about getting it. And what does that mean? If we blow it up big, what does that mean for every single thing that they do? And I think we never got a chance to think about what does that mean to get assimilated by the Borg up until I think this episode you right. didn't. And we saw, we've seen plenty of people go through it. And Picard is not even the only main cast Star Trek character who's done that. Right. He just had a conversation exactly. with one last week. Exactly. And it's really interesting because I think, the, the closest we came to it is there was one scene where a crew member of the Enterprise gets assimilated by the Borg and Picard just kills the crew members. So they don't have to go through it. Right. And I'm pretty sure they like plead with him to save him. And he just like, I think he just kills that ensign. In cold yeah, he blood, does. I and it's like, I thought about that a lot this episode uh, with the realization that Picard, I think he must be thinking about it too. The fact that, oh, it is now possible that that can be undone and it can be undone on a large enough scale that it matters. And he must be flashing back to that moment, especially. Yeah. What really affected me, especially from the pre Q visit Picard was him really getting ferocious with Gerardi, who's taking the more clinical approach to things. And him saying specifically, you know, they don't change, they 
metastasize. And I find that word choice so interesting because first, it's so objectifying, right? And he's not referring to them as a people. He's referring to them as a disease, as a cancer. And from that perspective, it's also really interesting to have him look back on his own experience in that maybe he thought about his time as a Borg as, you know, him having going through a major disease, you know, that he's now in remission from being a Borg. And from that perspective, I feel like that fundamentally changes the way we look at his character, that this is something that he feels like fundamentally affected his body and his mind, and that will never be the same way again. This was a diagnosis. It was not just a transformation. That's really interesting. Yeah, I I clocked that term metastasized, and I think that's – but that's also traditionally kind of how we were meant to think about the Borg. Mm, that's true as well. It's sort of like a, a vi- I mean, I know they tried to upload a virus to the Borg a few times, but like the way it spreads is just like very, very simple. Like a virus, we're undergoing that right now Yikes. on our own planet. You know, this idea that things can be spread so easily. I, I just think his his word choice was so interesting there, and it leads to him having like another pseudo panic attack as he goes into his ready room and. They really like to have fun, Jess, on the 2010 Star Trek uh, with, you know, having these hollow screens in front of them of doing that one effect where the person's face in real life matches up with the face of the person on the screen. Like we did it with Michael Burnham and her mother. We did it with Soji and Ramda a couple of episodes ago. But it was most poignantly done here, obviously, with Picard and the picture of Locutus because it is literally. Yeah. I don't know, Mike. I saw that and I'm like, oh, Mike's going to be really excited about that because that's his favorite thing in Star Trek. <laughs> well, it's not. It was my favorite thing maybe the first time. Maybe yeah. not the third like, now we could write a whole New York Times trend piece about it because we've seen it happen at least three times. Exactly. Now I know why Pike was really calling for an end to all these holograms because it's just a too easy device for them yeah. to lean on. Yeah, it. I think the the first time someone tried to put that shot on Pike, he like smashed up all the hologram emitters. Do not put that yeah, face that, that, in front of me. I am my own beautiful face. That might face, be the whole reason he hates them. Yeah, exactly. Like someone tried to compare him to an old, uh, the old Captain Pike picture, and he just swatted it away because nobody wanted to acknowledge yeah, that. And, Except for that one previously on. <laughs> yeah, just the one previously on. Yeah, I, I liked that there were so many little Easter eggs as Picard is like swiping through Borg Wikipedia, reading up on yeah Borg Borgopedia. Well, even. Yeah, well, even when he beams down to the cube, the flashes that he has, I believe, is footage from Best of Both Worlds and First Contact. So it's not just like, hey, let's get Patrick and the old implants again and put some, you know, images in there. They are literal flashbacks to his past. And it's something that really and literally sends him real. Yeah, um, when he goes down to the surface of the cube, and I have to imagine, I don't think you actually can beam down to the cube. I think you have to, like, manually go there because... They run into this a little bit later on when they're trying to leave the cube. Uh, but I thought it was really weird. Usually when when anybody in Star Trek arrives on any other ship or any other planet, there's always somebody right there to greet them. Yeah, there's usually like an O'Brien or a Scotty manning the transporter, right? He comes in alone and not only alone. 
but is left to wander right? this abandoned part of the queue for probably like 10 minutes, right? Just completely on yeah. his own. And it's like, I thought this was a really high security establishment where like even people that work there are not allowed to go down certain hallways. Like they slapped Soji's wrist for this a bunch of times and she's like, you know, she she's like a director level there. And so they're just going to let some rando roll up on the cube and just start wandering around touching things. I I would have liked to see the reaction from, I guess, the cube hire personnel. I mean, we really don't know anybody. Apparently, Narek has a role, but he's keeping it hush-hush. But what was their reaction to finding out the request that Jean-Luc Picard was going to visit? You know, like, when they find... Because, I mean, Picard said, once they find out it's me, they're immediately going to mobilize. Was that really true? Or was he like, don't worry, guys, I know him. We'll just let him wander off by himself for a little bit, and when I'm done with this project, I'll go meet him and give him the whole welcome wagon Yeah, thing. it just sort of seems like, or maybe Hugh was supposed to be there, and he got waylaid by something. And he's just, like, pretending mm. that he was supposed to be there. Yeah, he sends those two guys ahead of him, like, listen, uh, I want you to, to, like, just grab Picard, and don't <laughs> say anything, and just look at him. He's really gonna he, well, like that. no, Hugh actually said, could you guys run ahead and grab Picard and tell him that I'm running a little bit late, and I'm gonna be there as soon as I can? And then they ran up and they grabbed Picard, but because their brains are so scrambled by what happened to them as Borg, they totally forgot the next part of the directive. Exactly. They can only really focus on one step at a time. It's part of the rehabilitation yeah, I mean, process. X- XBs are really notoriously terrible at executive function. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, we obviously have seen XBs before. We saw the Romulan portion of it, which seems to be a little bit more on the struggle bus than these XBs. But we had obviously got more highlighted here as Hugh sort of walked him through the rehabilitation clinic. And I do love this idea that Hugh was the role as well to really sort of bridge Picard, because it is a familiar face to Picard. This is someone who Picard tried to, you know, use as a weapon, using his own role as as Locutus back in TNG. And now Hugh is this person offering his hand and saying, come with me, it's all going to be fine, this is all in the past. And I thought this was just a really cool role reversal in that perspective. And also to see Picard himself sort of overcome his own proclivities and his own storied history with the Borg to realize exactly like, yes, it is a little hackneyed to say, oh my God, there were people underneath those things. But obviously that's not what Picard saw them as. So to have him literally see that was, for lack of a better term, an eye-opening experience yeah, for him. Yeah, it, it really was. Uh, but I want to back up and talk a little bit about this first Picard-Hugh interaction, because I think if Picard hadn't been so, like, bajiggity over being on the Borg cube, he would have maybe clocked that there's something a little bit weird about this interaction. And, Mike, I want to know if you think this was weird, because basically, Hugh was like, no, it's cool, you're fine, I'm going to talk you down from the panic attack. Why are you here anyway? And Picard says, I'm looking for a young woman that works here and and he immediately goes to oh it must be soji and she must be in danger right and it must be something about that weird romulan spy who showed up and is totally not giving off spy vibes and it seemed like he made a lot of leaps really really fast that seemed suspicious to me yeah i mean i wonder if it's just because soji sticks out like a sore thumb and you know the onus of jean-luc picard usually is to find things that stick out for any particular reason 
maybe he's heard some intel from the Romulans that have been observing Soji. You know, maybe he overheard the call logs that Narek had taken about the weird stuff that was going on at that. Or maybe he's in on the conspiracy as well. Who's to say? Now we all have our tinfoil hats on now that we know that, you know, there's already somebody in the mission who's in on the conspiracy. Yeah, and there's a couple of other moments. Like, I think maybe word got around because we knew about we knew about what happened to Dodge. And it was like, yeah, we heard he was hanging out with this other girl and she blew up and he's trying to figure that part out. And so he's been he's been showing up on free cloud to get Bruce Maddox and we're not really sure what he wants, but he's coming out here and you're going to have to deal with him. So figure it out. So, yeah, I guess yeah, it's possible. No, I mean, I like the conversation he had with Clancy is not top secret. The fact that he's poking around, like looking for Federation credentials, not secret. I, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. I don't know. I wonder what Q initially expected Picard was there for, you know, like, did he take the request at face value that he was really representing the Federation? Did the, did the absolutely terrible FNN interview from episode one even reach the beta quadrant and the, and the Borg cube, Jess, that even they know oh, about his simulation. Oh, definitely watched that. I was a little surprised that uh, the Starfleet personnel that Rafi was talking to did not mention that as well. Like, Jean-Luc Picard, you mean the guy who basically pissed his <laughs> pants on live television a few weeks ago? Why the hell would we yeah, want him to go there? this was a weird interaction, too. Because it sure seems like, uh, you know, the... The thing about Picard is so Federation that his face is still probably on the damn brochure. Is it, though? Really? I thought he rage quit the Federation and burned down his entire legacy on the way out the door. And then last week went on national television to spit on it one more time. Not to mention that if he had quit maybe like a couple of weeks ago, maybe that news hadn't gone around. But this was over a decade ago. That he decided to do that. You'd imagine that even, again, even the most distant reaches of space, that news would reach there. Though, maybe they didn't necessarily know his standing. Maybe the Starfleet sort of uh, face-fronting news was, okay, you know, Picard had a really nice retirement. So, you know, two other Starfleet people who weren't on the inside, it came across as, oh, yeah, he just wants to go on one more mission. Yeah, but everybody else forgot about him. Like, still had to show ID to get into the building. Yeah, that's true. Again, maybe he just sort of became like uh, an alumnus of a <laughs> high school from so long ago, like very well remembered, but not necessarily somebody who is is known for the stuff he did behind the scenes on his. Like you'll record. find his name inscribed on a trophy in the trophy case, but there's a lot of other names in there too. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of captains that have come before him and after him, but. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, Raffi's job for the week amidst her stupor. She was able to sort of snap herself out of it for half a second and pull a nice little smooth uh, routine of like, oh, yeah, give me credentials because we're already halfway there and we're going to start a war. Yeah, and she does all this while she's high as a kite. Yeah, and drunk off her rocker as well, considering the swaying she was undergoing both to and from that chair. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for Raffi because basically Picard doesn't speak to her for a decade rolls up and like yanks her into space to use her connections to get him to achieve his like weird windmill that he's tilting at. And then like basically every week he's got some new thing he needs her to do that's going to cause her to burn yet another bridge. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I am a little surprised that she still had someone she was friendly with in the Federation. Because again, if we're going back to what happened, Rafi didn't quote unquote retire. Rafi was fired. So again, unless it was portrayed as like, oh, she left on her amicable terms. I can't imagine many people would still have contact yeah. with her. And, you know, we've seen people in Star Trek do a lot of stuff that probably should get them fired. It takes a lot to get you fired from Starfleet. Exactly. Though in this case, it's your boss happening to rage yeah. quit. Yeah. It, and that part was really wasn't her fault. But then it's like, it just feels like she should be even more damaged by this than she is. Well, I guess speaking of that, what did you make of sort of her conversation with Rios and specifically, you know, her revealing to him about Gabriel, which I guess she never told anybody about her family. And then Rios's very poignant response of no one gets all of it right, Raph. Yeah, well, I think Rios, um, I think we can we can extrapolate from that. I think he's probably still carrying around a lot of the weight of his commanding officer dying in front of him. I think he's seen a lot of terrible things, too. Um, and I think the two of them, I like that they are so cynical about the whole thing. They actually had a bet going that Soji would already be dead by the time they got there. Right. Latinum goes to Rios. Yeah, that seems very much in keeping with the dynamic that the two of them have. Well, and I, and I like seeing more of that, too, because I think we had really been told, especially as we get introduced to these characters of like, yeah, this is really the Han and Chewie of the Star Trek universe. And we got bits and pieces of it. But as we mentioned, Rafi was sort of off on her own business. Rios was sort of in his own dark and brooding place. That this was really one of the rare moments where it was just the two of them together and her being pretty vulnerable to him. And him having that response that's simultaneously comforting, but also in his Rios way, there's still an edge of darkness to it. Like he doesn't physically comfort her. In any way, he just says that one comment to her and then sort of turns out the light. But in true Rio's fashion, I think that's enough. So I'm excited to explore more of this. Like, it's clear of all these characters, except for Picard and Rafi, these two have the most history together. And I, I would like to see more of that develop. And I feel like this was a good emotional step in really showing how Rafi might not listen to a lot of other people, especially on this shift, but Rios might be the one person that she'll actually listen to for this. I find it really ironic that that Rafi is the one that we keep going to for her connections and because she knows everybody and yet she's so closed off and damaged that she's kept even the most basic pieces of her biography from absolutely everybody. Yeah, well, I wonder if this ties into like when she encountered Rios. You know, you can imagine this was probably a few years ago. So this is after her family left her. She's in the the bottommost part of her life at this point. I can imagine that maybe it's just too painful of a situation for her to want to talk about it. That she's hardened herself with a cocoon made out of snake leaf and synthahol that she doesn't necessarily want to let anybody in. So she'll just give away her name show her skills, and just sit down and do the work. You know, that she doesn't necessarily want to get to know the other person, and if they want to offer their personal details, that's fine, but she's not going to ask for it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty accurate representation of it. But it's it's weird that she's the one with the people skills. Yeah, she's able to sort of just turn that on, and maybe that's the Starfleet part. Like, 
even though we have seen some Starfleet personnel with maybe not the best people skills, cough, Barclay, cough, I think that you probably have to require at least a little bit of interpersonal stuff, right? Considering just how close-knit a crew usually gets on a ship. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and we've seen that play out time and time again. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder what sort of like social etiquette situations they put you in at Starfleet Academy. That's an interesting thought. Like that's a class that I'd like to sit in on. Yeah, maybe it's just like maybe they're observed at like the various mixers that occur, you know, and then they're uh, adjudicated about it behind the scenes. Maybe they're the teachers are like Rizzo in that Jalvavok chamber, just watching from uh, a secret surveillance point and then they give notes afterwards about what they did or didn't i want to know what the kobayashi maru is of like social life in starfleet oh you know what it is it's that classic sitcom situation of like okay you have a date tonight (laughs) at the same time as the big bowling tournament what do you do (laughs) and so of course kirk cheats the system clones himself and goes to both or or kirk like takes the date to the bowling alley yeah exactly he truly breaks the system Yep, only only Kirk is able to pass the social graces exam. Um, all right, so let's go back to the Borg Cube for yeah. we, we do have to talk about the soap opera of it all. We do need to talk about Soji and Narek and also people keep pronouncing his name differently. And it's not just because Romulans have a name for outsiders and a name for family. <laughs> yeah, maybe he just could have said like Oh, actually, my name for the one I truly love, truly love is Narek. Yeah, because Soji has been so you were Soji has been there. saying Narek, and yeah, it's like maybe it's just like they're new to dating, and she called him that once, and now he feels weird about correcting her because they've had sex a couple of times. Well, I don't know. There's also like we experience this a bit with Rafi Rafi as well, too, right? Maybe it just depends on the the affect of the person talking. But yeah, I did find it interesting that she calls him Narek. Maybe it's a it's a symbol within itself of how reclusive he is to her that he's not even going to give away the proper name to pro- a proper way to pronounce his name. Yeah, maybe so. But I I like that they just dropped another one of these Romulan details on us too. And again, I feel like I know the Romulans better than I know like the Klingons at this point. Like probably better than the Vulcans. Oh my god, they were dropping so many Romulan terms. It's like if you came back from study abroad on Romulus and you're just like <laughs> casually peppering in random phrases throughout to show how much you know about the name. It was like tongue. that time I got Bocaditos in Barcelona. Yeah, exactly. When I had my Tanjikron, <laughs> I for my home study, I I really did enjoy. Now the trick is you really have to pepper it very gently with your fingertips to get the prize inside. <laughs> It, it definitely, I think you've hit upon the perfect metaphor for this whole thing. I mean, yeah, there was so much going on. And I guess it makes sense considering that, you know, Narek was, now I'm just getting <laughs> self-conscious about saying his name now, but he is really, he was really opening the doors to Soji and really, you know, she's again coming after him. It seems like they did come back together after their sort of, uh, their sort of mishap a couple episodes ago with, for those of you that might not remember when Narek was like, Oh, BT Dubs, uh, you weren't on the manifest to come over to the Borg Cube, so that's a lie. And she made the presumption that means, you know, he accused her of being a liar. Turns out that no, he was just onto the fact that her life was completely fabricated as of 37 months ago. 
So uh, I think that, you know, to have him sort of open up his own world to her is a way to bring her closer to him before he tries to kill her with poisonous gas. Well, everything that he has been doing with regard to her is like straight out of like a teenage romance novel. It's very much like it, it's it hits the same beats as Twilight and it's a better love story than Twilight. It's it's basically like I'm a little I'm a little broody and uh, and dark and I I contain hidden multitudes but for the right girl who really, you know, opens her heart to me, I can show her pieces of my true self and that's kind of what adolescent girls are conditioned to think passes for love. So it is no wonder that Soji falls for this. Yeah, and that's really, you know, I think I can fully crystallize my assessment now that we're over halfway through the season that I just don't like Narek as a character. I feel like maybe that's my quibble with this entire storyline is I'm just not a big fan of the way they've been portraying this whole, like, he's falling for the mark thing and maybe because i've always sort of had one eye winced of like okay is he really doing this stuff because he really feels for her or is it because you know he's just trying to convince her to go down this slow and more methodical path to waking up like even the moment when he turns his back from locking her inside the chamber knowing that he was about to kill her and you see a pained expression on his face i got much more from gerardi killing bruce maddox than i did Eric in that moment even though we know we knew their relationship for a much longer time than Gerardi and Maddox. Yeah, 100%. It, it, it's just, it's been so clumsily put together. And I don't know if it's just like they didn't think about it too hard in the writer's room or if it really is intended, like maybe I'm, I'm putting like fourth dimensional chess on here, but if it's intended to be superficial and kind of a vapid love story, then I guess it's a little more understandable, but I just, yeah, I, I don't buy for a second and I never did that he's legitimately confused by this, uh, that he's legitimately like jeopardizing everything. It's more like, it's more like he just wants to get his sister off his back. Well, um, or maybe Yikes. on her front, depending on again. But the thing is, I mean, even before he has that, that tearful moment, he, after he wakes her up out of her dream, he gives her a 30 second yeah, you're not real, and none of the thing you ever experienced has been real. Kisses, bye, kill you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, the fact that even that was not really a very romantic or passionate moment, again, just, just has my mind drawing a big question mark as to, like, what does he truly feel? That being said, I personally could see a situation where... Maybe not the entire Jot Vosh, but he breaks away from the Jot Vosh and decides to protect Soji. Maybe, hell, maybe he falls on his own sword. Maybe he gets killed by his sister because he decides to break away from his mission because he does have true feelings for her. You know, her. honestly, Mike, I would not be surprised if Narek is done now. Like, he did his thing, and mm. maybe at this point, he did his thing and he sort of failed at it, and they might decide to cut him loose. Like, either he dies right away. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, you failed, and now we got to go after ourselves. Bye. And they kill him. Or he gets pushed out of the loop, and it causes him to make a face turn. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he would be killed, or at least demoted, were he not able to get that location out of her. 
from the little guided meditation that he did. You know, I feel like Rizzo is happy enough with that because I guess their overall goal is to exterminate the nest. Yeah. Right? I think he just failed on the mission to actually kill her, but at least Rizzo was not present for that. Otherwise, he would have gotten a reaming. Yeah, she's gonna find out, though, because they activated her, and now she's running around the cube like a chicken with her head cut off and she's all active. I, I don't know I don't know what, yeah, how, how you come back from that. Like once she's activated, can you put the genie back in the bottle or are you basically like is she just going to come and like fully kill everybody? Well, I guess the question is is her brain positronic because I feel like if it is from a mechanical perspective, I'm sure you certainly can, but if it's, you know, if her organs are human down to the brain, that's going to be a lot tougher to do. I also wonder, again, maybe this is galaxy brain of me, <laughs> speaking of brains. Do you think that, you know, Narek did this knowing he was going to activate Soji, knowing she was going to tear through the floor with the poisonous gas? You know, like, because otherwise, how do you not expect someone who possesses superhuman strength to just easily tear her way out of the room? Once she gets well, activated. there is that, and I, I, as soon as I said the thing about her being activated, can she be deactivated? I think then I just remembered. Of course, we saw Dodge get activated and then go back to normal and not really understand what was happening to her. Oh, that's true. So that's I, true. I imagine yeah. Soji's going to calm down at some point. But now it's like, now it's like she knows that, like it was like he was trying to activate her. Like he kept baiting her and baiting her, and I'm sure it was. Maybe he was just kind of like trying to toe the line to get her to give up the location without realizing what she is. But I don't think so. I think he wants her to know that she's not real. And I think he must have understood that that's, that she stood a pretty big chance of activating once she realized that. Right. I think he was taking a lot of baby steps. And this was the first big leap that there was a chance this was going to activate her. But if so, it was going to get them a lot of intel. So it was worth the risk. I think the advent of her dreams here was a really interesting choice. Obviously, there's the TNG connection. We know that near the end of The Next Generation, Data started to dream. Uh, he happened to get hit with like a, a ray that happened to wake up that part of his consciousness. He actually had a dream where he met Dr. Noonien Soong. There was a whole episode in Season 7, Phantasms, where his nightmares became actually an integral part of the plot and was actually giving away information about what was happening to the crew at the time. So I like this concept and that it really connects back to her father and also the fact that, as Narek points out, oftentimes the dream and the subconscious is the best way for us to connect with maybe our truer essence that is not necessarily present from a purposeful perspective. That being said, now that this is a key part of her, I would have loved to see this dream recur throughout the season. You know, I'm a little disappointed that we only got the dream in this episode. If we gotten this back in episode, like, if we got one in episode two, one in episode four, and one leading up to here, I feel like that could have been a really nice way to plot out the mystery step by step to really have it come to fruition this well, episode. Well, yeah, especially since we opened the series on a dream. Exactly. It, yeah. We were leading up to that clearly. So it's, it wouldn't have been out of place. And I think the second we start to get inside Soji's head, that's probably where we should have started. Yeah. And I think that especially if we have the assumption that Soji, like Dodge, is an android, like we could have been making those connections from the get go, looking into that dream. Okay. What does this mean? What does that mean? Instead, again, true to the quickened nature of this episode, we 
introduce the dream and analyze the dream all in like 40 minutes, which is great. Now we know where we're going. It gives gives us some answers. But at the same time, you wonder if this could have been something that would have been a little more slowly plotted out to make it a larger mystery before its final reveal. Yeah, I I think I would have liked that quite a bit better. Mm. Well, that being said, I thought that the whole guided meditation thing was super interesting. Obviously, again, it's another part of Romulan culture that we had not experienced before. I need some clarification here, Jess. Could Narek see what was going on in Soji's head? Or was it more so, again, like a guided meditation that she had to describe to him what she was seeing and he just had to talk to I mean, her? My impression of it was that it was like hypnosis. Like he was just leading her mm. into a state of consciousness where she could reveal pieces that she couldn't reveal when she was fully conscious. Right. I mean, he had her literally push past the physical boundaries of her dream to really look around sort of Inception style while she did this weird sort of like the walls are imaginary in this room and you have to sort of walk around them to pretend like you don't hit the walls in this weird maze. Yeah, it's like it's like playing. It's like you're the tweezers in a giant game of operation. Exactly. Don't touch the sides or else the Jean-Marc is over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it looks a lot like um, like I don't know if you've ever walked a labyrinth, Mike. No, I have not brought on my little crystal ball to do that just yet that I could twiddle. Yeah, this my was a this, yeah, this was a weird thing. And, you know, far less David Bowie than you might have liked. But this was a thing. Yeah, I went to a pretty, a pretty hippie kind of college and we had this interfaith chapel. And once every couple of weeks, they'd spread out this big mat on the floor that had a labyrinth and you were invited to take a meditative walk through the labyrinth. And you just kind of follow this path and clear your mind and like walk back and forth. And apparently it was this very soothing exercise. So that was the first thing I thought, like this, this meditation space must have a labyrinth on the floor. Yeah, it's interesting because apparently it's, you know, Romulan only. There's obviously a Romulan only section of the cube. There's a lot of really interesting symbology in here. Like the fact that Soji had to take her shoes off is very reminiscent to when she took her shoes off to go sliding around the cube with Narek before, it's sort of like a symbol of trust, right? That you are re- removing a part of your covering to just sort of let yourself be more vulnerable. I liked Narek telling her, like, you're completely in control. And then it cuts to Rizzo observing from, aso- from outside to really say, no, 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 you're not in control whatsoever. I am in control guiding you through this to wake you up. There was just a lot of really interesting moments there, especially as we kept cutting back to the room from the dream. And I thought the cinematography in this episode was really interesting as well, the way they sort of played with the angles and especially to have it swirl around a bit more and more as her own mind starts to swirl with the realization of what she is exactly. Yeah, it was, I think it's meant to recreate the disorientation that she's feeling. And I I thought the part where she looks at her father and he looks like Slender Man. That was <laughs> that was something else. And it, it's also interesting because it's like that part of her brain, they just kind of decided, oh, you don't need to know what he looks like. He's your dad. Uh, don't worry about it. Well, so here's a question, because I wonder if this will not be the last Soji dream that we see. And so from that perspective, much like Data was able to see Noonie and Soong in his, what are the chances that Data 
visit Soji in one of her dreams. That would be really interesting. Like, I wonder if, I wonder if, if Data was meant to be the face. Yeah, but they couldn't get it just right with the CGI, as <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, we better just blur this out and start over again tomorrow. Oh, what? The episode's due? Okay, oops, sorry. Yeah, or do like a deep fake with uh, like old Brent Spiner from TNG and just put it in there. But I, I think that would be a really interesting conversation because, I mean, obviously Data never got to see these two come to life. Bruce Maddox was able to see his creations in real life, but the person who got his DNA taken from was not able to. And so I think to have those two characters interact, considering what they share and how they differ, would be a really interesting thing to bring on down the line. I, I hope it's not a wrap on Soji Dreams, just because considering the role that they played in Data's characterization near the latter part of TNG, I, I feel like there's there's more to explore there. Yeah, I think so. And we have to come back to the data of it all at some point, but it might be, we might need, we might need to get out of the pickle we're in right now. And then we might need Picard to come back to it and Picard to introduce that idea before data shows up in anybody else's head. Yeah, I could see something where at some point, maybe after everything's died down, Picard like sits Soji down, or maybe he takes him inside his exhibit. Uh, in San Francisco, and is like, let me tell you about your father, and then you know, talk her through the journey of Data so that she finds out who her true father was. Yeah, I think I think that's very possible. I think my guess is that possibly the next episode, it looks like we're gonna see, well, we're gonna see some Riker. That's exciting. I think what we're finally we're finally seeing I, Riker after we after we called that he'd be in episode one. He finally appears in episode we're only seven. Six episodes off. It looks like maybe Picard is directing everybody to rendezvous on wherever Riker lives because that is a safe place. Yeah, N- N- Nepenthe. Yeah. Uh, I was not going to attempt the name of that planet. Um, maybe he's telling everybody to rendezvous there because that's where Riker is and Riker is a safe space. And we know how Picard gets there, but I think like everybody ends up – in one place and they kind of have a little breather on Riker's ranch. And it's weird how many people resort to agriculture after they leave Starfleet. That seems a little strange to me. Yeah, exactly. As, as you know, Q Kirk and his little dreamscape in the Nexus in Star Trek Generations. Yeah, Card has his vineyard and it looks like Riker's also into the rustic look. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me, that would be an interesting, it would remind me a little bit of, like, the second act break in Avengers Age of <laughs> Ultron, where they just all, like, briefly hang out on Clint Barton's yep. farm for a little bit and and do stuff. Like, I could very much see an episode where they sort of come down from the action and, like, have a little bit to sort of reconvene. Maybe that's when it comes out that Gerardi's been a double agent, and then they finally are able to re-up themselves for this yeah, third act. Yeah, I, I think that's what we're getting next episode. We're getting, like, a little bit of slice of life on the farm, and Picard has a chance to sit down with Soji and have a real conversation about what she's learned about herself and where she's at with this. And um, I think we probably spend a good chunk of the episode, like, getting there, or at least, like, everybody that didn't step through the magic mirror needs to get there. Yeah, and I saw uh, on the ready room they gave a sneak peek of next episode. It appears the La Serena might be getting a bit late because it seems like, despite Picard being like, hey, uh, see us soon. We're going to take a little bit of a space Uber over to Nepenthe. They're still caught in the tractor beam from the Borg cube. 
So they're going to have to fight their way out of that. You spoke about Picard and Soji. It was a very short-lived meeting between the two, Jess, but it finally happened. What did you think about their brief interactions in this episode? It was hard to say how she's going to take everything, but she really doesn't have a choice at this point because her boyfriend just tried to kill her. And it's basically like some random dude shows up and is like, come with me if you want to live. I mean, obviously you take that. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting because Picard is coming to her under much more suspect circumstances of like, hey, I just met you and you just fell through the ceiling, but you need to follow me and hop through this big space portal with me. But I wonder, and this was not explicitly stated, but I mean, Dodge got that vision of Picard in her head that made her seek him out. I don't know if Soji explicitly got that, but maybe there's an implicit trust there that's, again, still from the data part of her that made her decide to take his hand, even if the the circumstances were much more suspect. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. And it's it's interesting that we've not explicitly heard that from her, because, again, Mike, if we'd been getting her dreams all along, we probably would have seen Picard in one of them, and that would have been part of it. Here's the other part I think is weird, because I think... I think Picard was kind of banking on he would be able to roll up to Soji and be like, I'm coming because I spoke to your sister and show her the necklace and kind of get to her that way. And she was shown in the first episode as, you know, mentioning her sister very fondly and, you know, the two of them were close and spoke, but she was just told that she's not real. She was just told that she's 37 months old and her family doesn't exist. So, She's got to be wondering if any of it is real. So if someone comes up to her and is like, hey, your sister sent me, she's going to be like, bitch, I don't have a sister. I'm 37 months old and everything I own is 37 months old. So I have to wonder if that could be a problem. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting character moment from Soji next episode. Because as you mentioned, she hasn't really had time to process that. When she learned she wasn't real, she was immediately put in fight or flight when she had a bunch of poisonous gas seep into the room that she was in. You know, and then she had to run all the way through a Borg cube and then hop 40,000 light light years away. If we do have our breather next episode, she's going to have a lot to reconcile emotionally. And I can imagine there's going to be rage there. There was rage when that scanner told her that she was 37 months old. There's probably going to be sadness in there. There's, she's probably going to go through the five stages of grief over the course of one episode. And I think what Picard needs to do is just be there for her the entire time to show that he is true to his word and that he does trust her, he does know her plight, and that he is there to take care of her, even though she has no idea who Yeah, and you know, Mike, 37 months is a really emotionally volatile age. <laughs> exactly. That's really, it's the... Uh, I mean, I guess she is. She's going to, like, the terrible threes right yeah, now, right? Yeah, and I, I believe it. Like, look what she did to that room. That looks familiar to me. Exactly. I I cannot wait to see what happens when Picard wants to put her to bed. Now she can just, you know, have a phone call with her mom for 70 minutes to conquer her. Yeah. Out. You know, I I I got to say I'm a little jealous of her mom because if all it took was for me to speak to my kid for a little over a minute to put him to sleep, my life would be a lot different. Well, I guess we're going to have to get some programming in George to put but I don't know. I'm a little fearful of what happens when you stay up past the 72nd mark because apparently you glitch out, and then some weird guy's face flashes in your head for a few seconds, and then you fall asleep. Yeah, I mean, she's getting a little taste of it. I'm sure she'll she'll keep working at it, and she'll unlock that at some point. Right? Uh, who who, who, who I, was that guy? I think guy? we're going to find out. 
Yeah, you think I I cuz I wasn't sure if that was Bruce Maddox or if that was somebody else. I I I just couldn't didn't catch it in the first couple times that I watched it and I wasn't able to pause it on the right frame. So, I'm sure Riot has a theory going at this point, but I'm sure you're right that this is like a key integral part to Soji that I'm sure we're going to find out later on. That is another person that's sort of uh you know, subliminally telling her to seek I, out. I think it might just be like Faceless Orchid Daddy. Mm, ooh, Faceless Orchid Daddy. That was my AIM <laughs> screen name back in the early 2000s. Well, you were the third orchid from the left. Exactly. Yeah, so Mike, I want to talk about um, a couple of really interesting Easter eggs that, and again, I think this show does this so well where you can spin out on any one thing and pull in this great big piece of Star Trek mythology or it can just be a thing that's there in the show if you didn't watch any of that, making this still a show that you could watch without having ever seen any Star Trek, potentially. Yeah, and, and we t- we heard about that a little bit, right? Like, we had to have Rios and Rafi as expository and blatant as it may be talk last episode about who Seven was and what Picard's history with the Borg was. We had to have Gerardi bring that up again at the beginning of this episode. It's a little bit of a retread for us that have been through it so many times but if you want to envelop a larger audience you sort of need to re-plod through that territory though to your point there are also these more smaller things that are just little shout outs for you know those of us who have been with picard for a while and this piece that i want to bring up here is potentially a much bigger shout out uh because you can take it on face value that we're just going to go into the queen's cell and Hugh has this piece of technology that the Borg has acquired at some point that is a magical transporter to take them anywhere in the galaxy. And they can step through it and they'll be where they need to be. And that's all well and good. You don't need any more than that. But then when you know where they got that and who it came from, it's really, really interesting. So, Mike, I know you're not the Voyager guy, and I'm not the Voyager guy either. I'm sure LaRue will be able to chime in on Twitter with anything I'm missing. (laughs) But Hugh mentions that the Borg picked up this piece of technology from the Sakarians. And we saw the Sakarians quite a bit in the early seasons of Voyager. And they basically – they were a civilization that was very advanced, and they had space travel sort of. They didn't have spaceships, and what they had instead was this giant magic mirror device that you could step through and be anywhere you wanted to be, and this piece of technology, coupled with the fact they didn't have spaceships, what we are meant to extrapolate from that is that the Sakarians failed to fight off the Borg, and basically their entire civilization got assimilated, which is very sad. Ooh, that is very sad. So... And it almost implies that maybe a whole lot of the rest of the Delta Quadrant also got assimilated. Talk about metastasizing. That's that's pretty. That's a pretty sad piece of news when you when you think about it that way. Um, So I liked that as a Voyager Easter egg, of which there are so many in here. I really feel like I I need to go back and rewatch the entire series so I'm picking up on them all. yeah, who would who would have thought outside of seven of nine that it'd be so many Voyager? Yeah, references? I if if anything, like I I think Voyager is kind of an underrated series in the Star Trek universe. I think almost every other one has gotten like ample FaceTime 
somewhere in the universe. Like you even get enterprise shout outs in discovery. And it's very weird to me that we're, we keep coming back to Voyager, I guess, because chronologically that's the most recent piece of Star Trek lore, uh, adjacent to this. Yeah, lore or data. <laughs> yeah, and I think I, and I think also because obviously the Borg involvement, aside from Seven, it was just such a key part of it between, like you said, just the assimilation stuff that was going on or other Borg-like characters like Echeb. It's just, when you talk about the Borg, it's very heavily connected to Voyager. But yeah, I, I mean, I again, I, I feel like the, I'm not a big, you know, watcher of it. I feel like the reception behind it at the time was, you know, it did sort of air a bit concurrently with DS9, but I feel like the reputation was like, they tried to go back to the TNG formula, but it wasn't necessarily working. So I wouldn't say it's sort of the redheaded stepchild of the Star Trek franchise that is very clearly yeah. Enterprise, but I guess it's the it's the next one. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like if Enterprise is the Jan Brady, it's like the Peter Brady. Mm, exactly. So it's going through a lot of weird, awkward yeah. puberty. Yeah, I think that is... That's a pretty good way to look at it. And Mike, did you notice this is my absolute favorite moment in the series so far? Like I laughed a lot. Like I literally I had to pause it because I was laughing. There's a part and I think it's probably pretty silly and it's maybe not necessarily the, the most canon the most canon uh loyal thing, but Picard is running down the hallway past all the XBs yes. and one of the one of the XBs is like Lacutus? Yes, I'm so I'm so excited you brought that up because yeah, I love that moment too. And yeah, I I it raised a number of eyebrows for me, namely two. Cuz yeah, it was it was like it sort of felt like it was so casually done. It was like like oh, do I know you? From yeah, we used somewhere? to work in the mail like, room together. Yeah, yeah like oh, no, I think I saw you at a, I saw you at Jane's party. Like you're you're that friend of a friend. Like it was just such like a oh, I think I know you from somewhere recognition rather than like Oh yeah, used to be like the uh, the leader of the Borg who led that big, you know, uh, big infantry that tried to invade Earth a while back. Like, I just love the throwaway reference to it, and also I think it just connected really well to Picard being like, "Well, the Borg are obviously going to recognize when I beam down there." And true to it, ended up being a thing. I guess I'm surprised that there wasn't a bigger XB rise up in recognition, but I guess one call out was just a nice little nod to it. Yeah, and I don't think the XBs are necessarily conditioned to react to it badly i i i yeah, don't think that's true i think they've really made their peace with their identity at this point like they spend a lot of time working on that in the artifact i think and they're not gonna necessarily be like oh yeah i remember that guy killed a bunch of people i know i'm, I'm gonna go seek my vengeance on him now they're, they're they're pretty much okay with what happened yeah though i really would wonder if picard happened to wander into that uh that formerly assimilated Romulan room if that would have been the same oh, reaction. It's it's really unfortunate that we're leaving the cube so soon because I would have loved to have seen that. Unless Hugh and Elnor take off with for some reason they take everyone in that room <laughs> with them to help Picard. <laughs> Don't worry, I have a bunch of, I have uh a, you know a Romulan Ronin and a bunch of mentally incapable Romulans to help save the day, Picard. Don't oh, you good worry. Lord. Good lord. <laughs> it's like they're taking everybody from the group home on a field trip. Yeah, exactly. But the group trip, the field trip happens to be, you know, helping save the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Though I guess maybe they might actually be preventing the destruction of the universe or causing it, depending on the way you look at things. All they got to do, I like all they got to do to the to some of them is just be like, "Yeah, uh, we're gonna go see the destroyer now, and we're gonna make sure she doesn't destroy." All right, we're on board. Let's go. Yeah, that's true. Actually, the Jod Vosh could very easily weaponize them by being like, "Hey." You guys want the Destroyer dead, right? Quick, come with us. We're going to mobilize a force and go to the Nepenthe to take him yeah, down. Yeah, I, I, I like hearing the music that they play over, like, all of the shots of the tour bus moving in Slapshot. Exactly. They're on, they're on their way, and there'll be a nice little, like, travel montage until they finally get there, and then it's going to be one big brouhaha. Yep. yep. And also, speaking of, speaking of parenting a toddler... I, I liked Elnor just rocking up to Picard and being like, okay, I'm going to kill some guys now. And Picard's like, I told you to stay on the ship. Yeah, I didn't listen. Yeah. But then he replies with, thank you. Like, he basically says, yeah, that was the right thing to do. We had our asses backed into a corner. Thank you for dropping from the ceiling and just kicking so much ass. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have an Elnor around. Which, And I guess from that perspective, you're right that I guess they couldn't have beamed down to the Borku because it seemed like Elnor d- was able to escape without anybody on the La Serena knowing. So I guess he sort of snuck out through a side door, jumped into the Borku, and made his way to wherever Picard Yeah, it was. really seems like they're boarding this thing on foot. Um, but also, like, speaking of getting on and off the Borkube, can you explain to me, Mike, and I, maybe they explained this and I just missed it? Like, so Picard and Soji go through the thing. Why can't Elnor also go through the thing? I think Elnor wanted to fight them back. Like, I think they wanted to close off the cell to not make the Romulans know about the area. And so they basically wanted to hold them off as much as possible because otherwise the Romulans could very easily, I don't know, maybe charge in after them. Though I don't know if it's like flu powder where you have to announce your location before you jump into the transport. Yeah, it, the rules of this thing were really uneven. Like They, they should have... It, it really seems to me like they could have fit three. It's like fitting two people on the door at the end of Titanic. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, he wanted to stay behind. Maybe he'd be able to sort of clean up the mess of the situation. And Eleanor can't get up the opportunity to do some hand-to-hand combat. So you knew he was going to yeah, stay Yeah, I knew he was gonna. But it just it didn't make any sense. And also, if time was of the essence, why did they take like five minutes having a conversation? Uh. I'm like... I want to throw things at the TV at this point. I'm like, just go through the thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, that's the trope, though, of like the, oh, I, I need to say goodbye at this moment, even though it's not like a tried and true goodbye, because Elnor's definitely coming back. But you know that, like, I guess, I don't know, maybe the, the Romulans had to stop and, like, suit themselves up or something, shine themselves to make sure they looked the most menacing that they could possibly be before they charged down the hallway. But it did take them a little long. To actually get to that Yeah, they would have had plenty of time for everybody to go through the thing. Like, bring Hugh with you. Why not? Uh, Everybody go through the thing. And instead, they squandered all their time, and then Elnor had to stay behind. Though I will say it was a pretty badass ending that, you know, the last line was said in complete darkness. Because we knew when he said that line last time, choose to live, uh, a poor Romulan ended up with his head on the ground. So I can imagine how many heads will be spilling throughout this cube. Yep, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty gruesome, I would think. But we will, but we probably won't see it. Oh, uh, we'll see. I, I, there might be they might like switch to night vision goggle mode. <laughs> exactly, or maybe they'll do a flashback as to like what you know. Again, if we do have them show up at the eleventh hour, we'll do a flashback as to how they got off the cube, and then we can see some more badass Elnor fighting. Yeah, like maybe that maybe this is what Elnor dreams about. 
Well, because he only had he had the one moment where he slashed off the guy's head. He was able to hold the blasters to Bejazel's girls last episode, and then here he has one moment where he kills a few Romulans. Like, I want to see Elnor spill some more blood here. I'm hungry for it. Yeah, give the people what they want. I mean, if he's if he's talked about as like one of the best fighters in the galaxy, I, I would like to see it personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't just promise that and then not show it. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully Picard season two will provide many more opportunities as well, because we've come s- such a long way from Star Trek fighting Jess, and I just want more and more illustrations of Jess. Yeah, it, it it is a very long way from like shirtless Sulu with a fencing foil. Yep, or the famous Kirk yes. chop. Yes, indeed. So is there anything else from this episode that you feel like we need to touch on, Mike? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, there was so much going on, but I feel like we really combed through each and every part of it if indeed next week's a bit of a moment to settle down then you know if this episode was very action heavy with some elements of psychology thrown in there i feel like that's going to be some of our bigger character moments i'm excited to see what comes out of it i'm hoping it's going to be akin to like the star trek episode or the beach house stuff from girls where just everyone's yelling at each (laughs) other but it seems like even though they're like out of the frying pan i feel like things are really going to boil over like it's only just begun and that makes me really excited. We've had a really good streak of episodes so far. Yeah, I I think so. I, I really – I think that's literally the only episode of Girls I've ever seen. It's a good one. I think if there is an episode – I think it actually is like a good representative episode of Girls because it's literally the girls calling each other out for how they're all horrible people. So it's like a good study as to like, okay, we know who these characters are and how flawed they are. And it – you know – your mileage may vary as to whether you want to continue on their journey or whether you just want to stop right there. Yeah. Well, I think with these people, I can't imagine anybody getting called out to the point where we don't want anything more to do with them. Exactly. Even someone like Gerardi might have her dark side outed, but there's still enough interesting stuff to her and so it's some redemption to her that I feel like, you know, I don't know if exactly if she'll be allowed aboard the La Serena afterwards but it'll certainly add for some very intriguing conversation afterwards yes yeah, yeah definitely mike so speaking of intriguing conversation this has been absolutely wonderful i think we didn't do a very bad job for a couple of round ears um, and we want to continue the conversation so we would love to hear from you the listeners so if you have anything that you think we should have touched on or any insights you have on anything that mike and i have covered here you can always tweet at us you can tweet at me at haymaker hattie you can tweet at me at a mike bloom type if you want to check out some of the other picard writing i have done go to cbr.com slash tag slash picard i do writing for comicbookresources.com i have three articles out this week of course my weekly summary of the episode. I have an article about the Rios Gerardi love connection and also a bit more about the dreams that Soji experienced and her connections back to Data and TNG. So be sure to check all that out if you want to see me talk more Trek, albeit in the written There's form. There's so much Trek to talk, Mike. That's really fantastic. I can't wait to read those articles. Um, and make sure you also tweet at Post Show Recaps and follow them for all of your post-show recaps television coverage needs uh we have a lot going on around here a lot lot um i think this is might be the busiest time in post-show recaps history um i personally am covering two different shows uh you can find me here and you can also find me with josh wiggler talking about the walking dead uh 
probably every Tuesday morning that's going to drop for the rest of the season. And Josh just informed me that we're basically locked in to cover various Walking Dead properties until sometime in July. So I got that to look forward to. And of course, you can find Josh and Mike talking about Lost every week on Down the Hatch. Yes, and we're locked in to do that probably until like 2021 or so. But yeah, we're, we're keep on keeping on through season two. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. And you can find uh, the dedicated feed for all things Star Trek. Uh, you can find that in everywhere that you get your podcasts. You can find that in iTunes, Stitcher. And right now, I think we're supposed to be mentioning that you can also find us on Spotify, which is exciting news. Yay! Yay! So you could subscribe to the Star Trek specific feed or you could also – Get the general purpose post show recaps feed. That's this Walking Dead, Lost, uh, Better Call Saul. I don't even know what all else, but it is a good time and it will guarantee that your ears are never ever bored. Exactly. And it's Spotify is green like Romulan blood. So it's very yes, average. No matter what shape your ears are, there is something for you on post show recaps. Oh, that's, I think we should make that the tagline. Let's pitch it. Yeah. To I, I, I think that that's going to fly for sure. Um, yeah, somebody ear based shows that I think it's really going to cover I think, all. I think we might just like this might be like the Venn diagram of shows about ears and like shows we cover on post show recaps is just a circle. <laughs> yeah, much like our ears. Much like our very round ears. So I guess with all of that, Mike, I don't think we got much more ground to cover here. So we're going to step through the magic mirror and we'll see you on the, nether- the other side next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. 